Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This message is part one of the series, An Unfulfilled Potential. In this message, Brandon begins looking at the life of King Saul and how throughout his life, he really didn't do that much. Brandon begins asking the question, are you living a life of unfulfilled potential? Well, amen. Well, one thing we want to do this morning real quick is uh, we've got several folks who are going on a mission trip, actually leaving Saturday. And um, they're going to be headed down to uh, Peru, and they're going to be uh, ministering to a, a women's shelter and a, um, also a, uh, a children's shelter. So we want to pray, bring them up this morning. We're going to pray for them and uh, just bless their trip. So those of you who are going on that trip, I know Juwan, Robin, and Joe, I think, are going. If you guys would come up, we're going to pray for you. And uh, we're just going to believe that God's going to use you in a mighty way. And, and Allison, too. We're, uh, going to pray and just ask God to bless your trip, put angels around you, and to use you in a mighty way. Well, let's pray for him. God, we thank you. We thank you for these servants who have given their, their time, God, who have overcome barriers of, of finances and fear, God, who are moving in your will for them, God, to go on this trip. And God, we just right now pray as a church, we come into agreement that you would put a hedge around them, God, that you would encamp angels around them, that your spirit would go before them, behind them and beside them, God, to make a way for them. We thank you, God, that the people they speak to would hear your voice. We thank you, God, that the people they pray for would be touched by the power of your spirit. We thank you, God, that they will come back from this trip with testimony after testimony of how you use them. And how your glory uh, was, was seen so clearly in these Peruvian people. God, we thank you for them. We just pray, God, that you would just give them confidence right now. God, that you would just uh, give them peace right now. That everything that they do, God, is going to be done through the power of your hand. And that you will establish them and do things, God, through them that maybe even they thought wasn't possible. Lord, we love you. We thank you for them. We thank you for their hearts to serve you. And we give you praise. We give you thanks for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. Um, also, this morning, um, I was asked if we could lift up uh, John Newton. And he's a, the uh, father of, of someone who attends our church. Um, he's in the ER right now, as a matter of fact. And so I believe struggling with kidney stones and some different things like that. So in just a moment, we're going to agree uh, for him to be touched, for God to touch his life and begin to heal him. Um, also, is there anything, it's just on my heart this morning to give you an opportunity to express any prayer concerns, anything that you'd like to lift up. We've got a, a group of people here, and I believe there's power in, in the body when we come together and pray. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Is there anybody who would like to share a prayer concern, anything that we could pray for this morning? Okay. Miss Hodges. Okay. Anybody else? Anything else? Your aunt? Okay. Shane? Okay. All right. Yes, sir. Your brother? Okay. Broke his hip. Okay. Pray for that. Anything else you want to mention? Well, we're going to pray for um, Mr. John, and then we're going to lift up these other concerns and just pray that God would touch them. And uh, begin to move in their lives. Well, Father, we do thank you. God, we thank you that you've been a healer from the beginning and you're still a healer today. So, God, those, of, those that we've mentioned, God, who have needs in their body, we ask that you would touch them and begin to bring healing. 
God, we thank you that when we seem to have no hope in anything else, God, we always have hope in you. And that you're bigger than any situation, any circumstance, anything, God, that could come against us. And so, Father, we just ask you in the precious name and the powerful name of Jesus to begin to touch these lives and bring healing. To touch these lives and, and begin to minister to them, God. You know the needs that they have. And we ask you just right now, God, very simply to touch them. We thank you, God, that you are so faithful. God, we thank you for your love and your grace upon their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to take just a minute and kind of give you a background of what we're going to talk about today um, for the the message. And what's been on my heart is to start a series. I want to talk about unfulfilled potential. And specifically, I want to talk about that looking at the life of King Saul. Um, King Saul was a guy who was anointed by God to to do incredible things and for the Israelites and for the kingdom of uh, Israel and to advance the kingdom of God. And yet when you go and you really begin to read about the life of King Saul, he really didn't do much of anything. In fact, the greatest victories that he had were caused by his son Jonathan and by King David. Um, basically, he was always somewhere in the back and, and they were out progressing the kingdom of God. And so I want to look at how can we have a life that is so potentially filled with, with promise um, and God even told Saul at one point, he said, Saul, listen, when these things, once you've seen these things and Samuel had given him a list of things that were going to happen, he said, once you've seen these things, what I want you to, to know is this, do whatever your hand finds to do because I, God, am with you. So he had this incredible promise that whatever he was going to do, God was with him. And if he would just go and begin to do the things that he was created to do, God would bless his efforts. And yet Saul never seemed to be able to grab hold of that. And so what we're going to look at over the next two, three, four weeks is, is why did Saul never feel his potential? Why didn't he do that? And today I want us to begin to look at just kind of the, the whole thing of, of, of potential. Why does that work in our lives? I mean, do we, do, does just one person have potential? Does everybody have it? How does that work in our lives? And so I want us to begin to look at that. And I specifically want us to look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel 13. We're going to look at 16 through 22. A little background on this is Saul's become king. The Philistines are, are they're about to attack Israel. They're, it's imminent. I mean, they, they're coming. They've, they've formed this three-pronged attack. They're about to come in and annihilate Israel. Now, what I want you to hear is this. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel. They had 3,000 chariots. They had 6,000 charioteers. And it says that they had soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now, Israel had 600 men left at this point. Because so many of them had become fearful and deserted. They just left. A lot of them just, just fled. And so they're looking at 6,000 men in chariots, 3,000 chariots, and then soldiers as numerous as the seashore, and they're sitting there with 600 men, and this is what they're facing. And so I want to read this to you. It's, it's 16 through 22. And then I want to just look at, at what happened in this battle. It says in first in first Samuel thirteen sixteen, it says Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gabeah and Benjamin, while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned toward Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual, another toward Beth Horon, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboam, facing the desert. Listen to this. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. 
So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes, and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Listen to that. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray you would anoint it. God, that it would sink deep into our hearts and produce great fruit in our lives, Father. God, just do what only you can do in our hearts today. Leave us changed today. Open our eyes to see what you've called us to. Open our eyes to hear your voice calling us deeper. Open our eyes, God, to see the potential that is in us as believers in Jesus Christ. Father, just have your way here now. We bind every spirit of hell that would come against this service. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, that this weight of heaviness would be lifted. And that our hearts would be enlivened and set afire by the power of the Holy Spirit today. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 13.22 says this, that the only people in the entire place, in the entire camp of Israel that had a sword was Saul and Jonathan. Not only are they outnumbered tremendously, but they're sitting there and they're looking and the only, only two people in the entire place have a sword. How do you like those odds? It's not real good. And so we come to this place of realizing that, that they're there and they're, they, um, Saul and Jonathan are the only two that have any kind of weaponry at all. I was reading this the other day and it just jumped out in my heart that I realized that both Saul and Jonathan both had the same potential. They were both equipped the same way. They both could have charged into battle and God would have taken and, and routed the Philistines, but only one chose to do it. The other day, I went with a friend of mine to an AA meeting. It was the first AA meeting I'd ever been to. And he, he took me, he was telling his story that night. And so I went and, and one of the things that, that blew me away, well, first of all, it was like I'd walked in and it was like the, like the glory of God had descended in the form of a cloud. You know how it used to do in the Old Testament? It was like cigarette smoke was so thick, I couldn't see anything. And, and I'm not saying, it was just funny. I'm sitting there because the room was only like 15, 20 foot wide. And I, like, I was trying to make out people on the other side. I was like, I think I know him, but I'm not sure. He looks familiar, you know, and you kind of get closer and closer, kind of like walking through the fog. And, um, but, but we're there. And so they're, they're there and, and, and I'm sitting there listening to them all share testimonies. They were giving out chips that night. They were doing all of these awesome things and they were sharing. I mean, and it just was blown away by, by the unity that was in the place. They, they, you could tell that they had really united around a common struggle. And so we go and we get in the, get in the car and, and my friend looks at me. He goes, well, what do you think? And he kind of smiles at me like wondering, you know, how'd you like that? And I said, you know, the thing that I kept realizing is that we're not that different. The thing that I realized is that they may struggle with this, but I struggle with that. They, they, this may look this way. It may have this face on it, but what I deal with is just got another face. And what God really showed me through that night is, listen, we are all on common ground. We're just like Saul and Jonathan. They both had a sword. They both had the ability to do things. There, there was common ground there. And you and I are the same way. We are all on common ground. Listen, there's not one person in here that's better than another in the sight of God. There's not one person in here who, who has less potential than the other in the sight of God. 
In God's domain, we all have the ability to do the things that we were created to do. If you're in Christ, then you're living in God's domain. You're living in a place where God can do through you the things that he wants to do. See, the difference is this. Jonathan and Saul are there, both of them with swords. Jonathan's got his armor bearer. An armor bearer was somebody, man, they had to love you. They had to be there for you. They had to know you and be willing to die for you when you went into bed. He was the one who carried the shield for him. And so they're, they're there. And then it says that Saul's like up under a pomegranate tree somewhere. I'm like, what kind of king, man? The enemy's coming and he's just chilling under a pomegranate tree. I'm like, what's he doing? And so it comes to a place where, where finally Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and he goes, listen, there's, there's some Philistines right there. There's several of them up here on this little pass and we're going to go up there and we're going to attack them. And the armor bearer looks at him and goes, okay, whatever you think we need to do, let's do it. I'm with you. And so they go and, and listen, Jonathan actually has to go. It says in 14.4, it says that on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other was called Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other toward the south toward Geba. One of those names um, in Hebrew actually means the thorny rock. The other one means the slippery rock. So how would you like to be going and facing about 20, 30 Philistines with just you and your armor bearer? And even just to get there, you've got to go through the thorny rock and the slippery rock. And yet Jonathan looks at it and somehow he goes, okay, we can do that. And he says, God can save by many or by few. And so they go and Jonathan literally has to crawl on his hands and knees with his armor bearer and with his sword and with the shield. They have to literally crawl over this rugged mountain. They have to begin to crawl over and get all through all this tough terrain just to get to the fight. And yet they go and they do it. And it says that they defeated like 20 men in an area of about a half acre. How incredible is that? They go and they just, just annihilate him. And it causes such a panic. It causes such a uh, uprising in the Philistine camp that they just end up freaking out, man. They go nuts. And they just, it's a panic, and the Israelites end up routing the Philistines. They killed them. They annihilated them. All because one person decided that he could do something. Two people sit in there with the same potential, and yet one ends up routing the Philistines. And so I look at that. I mean, the Bible says, literally, it says that the panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties. And it says, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. I was talking to some middle schoolers a while back about this same passage. And my question to them was this. How many of you, do you, how many of you want to be an earth shaker? How many of you want to be somebody that God uses in such a way that it causes ripples into eternity? And today, I guess I ask you the same thing. We all sit here with all this potential in the kingdom of God. And yet how many of us are really going to allow God to begin to do anything with it? How many of us have the equip? We're equipped. How many of us um, are in a place where if we would just go and begin to step, God would do all that our hand finds to do. And so we all sit here realizing that there is common ground. We got to realize this too, that when we begin to move, when we begin to move in God, the, the deal is, listen, where you're heading in your potential is a lot more important than where you've been. Listen, there, there are times we've all seen this in our life. We've all been in places where we have seen the rich kid who had it all. Couldn't miss, can't miss, man. He's got it. He's got everything he could possibly have. And yet, what do they end up? Nothing. They end up on the street. They end up doing nothing. And then right before our very eyes, in the last year, we've seen a multiracial man 
who was at two years old, deserted by his father. In his teenage years, was deserted by his mother. He goes to Harvard, goes through uh, Harvard on school loans. He goes on and as he comes out of Harvard, he, he ends up becoming the president of the Harvard Law Review. He goes on and now he's the president of the United States of America. And so we see both sides of the coin. Raised by his grandparents. And, you know, that's Barack Obama. If you don't know who the president of the United States is, I'll help you later. But listen, whether you agree with him or not, it's a perfect example of somebody who started from nothing and became something. And then we've all seen the athletes. I was thinking about this. Those of you who are in college, you may not remember this, but some of the older ones may remember a guy by the name of Tony Mandrich. Anybody remember him? Was drafted second in, uh, gosh, I can't remember what year it was, but by the Green Bay Packers. He was the can't miss. He was, and the funniest thing was he always claimed he never used steroids, and yet he was like 22 years old and didn't have hardly any hair on his head. I'm like, come on, man. And, and he goes and he gets drafted number two overall, and today he is considered the biggest draft bus in NFL history. He didn't do anything. And so we look at that and we see, man, what is it? What causes it? Why is it that some people do so much with so little and then some of us have so much and don't do anything? And that's what we want to be looking at over the next few weeks is we want to begin to discover how do I come to the fullness of the potential and to do all the things that God created me to do? How many of you would like to do everything that God made you to do? Amen. Those of you who don't, see me afterwards and we'll talk. But we come to that place. And in 1 Samuel 13, 16 through 22, we see one person who comes and he says, listen, I know it doesn't look like much. I know it doesn't look like I got a whole lot, but but I believe that God can save by many or by few. And doggone it, we're going up there and we're going to do something. And you see the other one who has all the responsibility and he didn't do a thing with it. And so we've got to realize that God has called us to something bigger. He's called us to do something. He's given us potential. Both of them were potential laden. And we have to come to a place now where we begin to move in the potential that God created us to move in. I want to look at Romans chapter 3. If you have it, you can turn to it. Romans 3. We're going to begin reading at verse 9. And I'm going to read through Uh, Verse 20, it said, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all understand. When we read this, I want you to hear the inclusive language of this, okay? It says, are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. It is as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his own sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now listen to this. 
Here's the dilemma that we all face in the beginning. According to this passage, we are all in big trouble. Because it says that we have all forsaken God. We are all worthless before God. That's pretty harsh words. I mean, think about this. Have you ever just felt absolutely worthless before? I know you. I mean, it's easy. The devil can come and make you feel like you're about knee high to a grasshopper. You know, I mean, just make you feel like a worm. I remember, and you, some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but the first time I ever preached a sermon, I come up and, and I, I, I was about 17 years old. I had just given my life to Christ and I preached a message and I based it off of baseball. Baseball was my great passion when I was growing up and I preached it off of baseball. It was, it was a Sunday night service. There weren't but about 20 people there. 10 of them were awake. And, and so I'm sitting there and I'm talking about this and, and I'm preaching and I got so confused. I got so confused. I couldn't follow my notes. I'd start this way and come back. I couldn't find my place. It was horrible. I was like, oh man. And I was just freaking out. And so finally I'm like, I'm just ending this misery. I'm sweating. I mean, I'm up there at the podium. I'm like gripping it like this and sweat's dripping off my face, hitting the paper. I'm just, you know, got the suit and everything on. And I'm like, how did I get myself into this? I'm killing whoever asked me to do this. And so finally, I'm just like, I'm ending the misery. And I said, I'm just going to say a prayer and we're getting out of here. So I prayed and it was so bad in the middle of my prayer. I got to a place where I just said, God, I don't know. I mean, in the mic. And so I'm trying to pray and I can't even pray. I mean, it was that bad. Felt so awful about it. And so afterwards, people are coming up lying, telling me I did a good job and all this. And then I look and there's this one little old lady with the, with a walker coming and she's just putting along. And I'm like, look at this sweet old lady coming. I mean, cause it was taking some effort for her to get to the, from the back of the room to the front. And I thought here she comes all this way to tell me what a good job I did. And I know she's lying. I know it, but bless her little heart because she's coming all this way. And she comes up and she walks up to me and she says, son, you learned something today that every pastor ought to know. I said, really, what's that? She said, when you don't have anything to say, just shut up. And I thought, man, and then, and then I, I kicked her in the knee. I didn't really, but I wanted to, I want to just take her walker and be like, how you getting home now? You know, but man, I felt so worthless. I felt, and, and that day I told myself, I will never, ever, 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 ever talk in front of people again. And you just don't say that kind of stuff to God. You know what I mean? You just don't say it. And so I, I went on. It was about seven years later before I ever talked in front of people again. I was 24 years old before I ever got the nerve. And you talking about nervous the night before having to go and speak. Well, my last memory of this is this little old lady. You know, I swear, I think she had like the, the real white curly hair, but I'm pretty sure I saw like some horns sticking up under there somewhere. And so, but my last memory was this lady just totally just, I mean, I knew it was true, but she didn't have to say it. You know what I mean? And, uh, so anyway, and, 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 you know, ever since then, even, even today, there's times, man, when I pre- I just feel worthless. Knowing, knowing good and well, I'm doing what God called me. And yet you just feel like, man, I just didn't do that well. Just didn't that well. One night we're sitting at El Sombrero. It was after a Monday night when we used to do Monday night services. And, and I'm sitting there and I said, I asked my wife because she sometimes will tell me the truth about how bad it was or how good it was. And I said, honey, how was it tonight? I said, I just didn't feel like it came across very well. What did, what did you think? And she's like, oh, it was, it was, it was fine. And man, ladies, just don't tell you. If it's bad, just tell them. But the worst thing you can say is it's fine. Because it's like, oh gosh, that was, you know, it was fine. And so then my six-year-old Dake looks at her and he goes, Mama, why do you do that? 
we're like, what? What? She goes, what, Dave? He goes, why don't you just tell him the truth? You always just tell him it's good, and you never tell him the truth. Just tell him the truth. Why do you do that? And I was like, you get her, Dave. But, but the funny thing is, you know, we get to those places where so many times the very thing that the devil tries to use to rob us is the very thing we're called to do. The very thing that, that God, think about this, Joseph was great, a great-looking guy. He, was, he had something that when you saw him, man, it just popped. That's why he, he goes to a jail. He ends up becoming the, the, the leader in the jail. He goes, whatever he did, man, there was something. But what ended up happening? He was a great-looking guy, but what did it end up doing to him? Ends up getting him put in jail because Potiphar's wife was attracted to him. The devil will so try to use the things that God's gifted us with to try to rob us. And we've got to realize that our potential is there, but we've got to begin to move in that. We've got to begin to realize that the devil does not want you to do the things that you were created to do. And so we have to continue to press in and continue to move. And in these verses in 3, 9 through 20, we've got to realize one thing, that we're all in a bad situation, unless it's for the, without Jesus Christ. We're all in a situation where, listen, we are doomed. I mean, when it says things like you are worthless, your throats are an open grave, the tongues practice deceit, and the poison of vipers is on your lips, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Listen, Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans, is really throwing down, and he is trying to bring people to the realization that, listen, it doesn't matter. You, you, know, you need to realize that you, you're in this situation, too. You're in this situation of worthlessness and hopelessness. You're in this place where it's not good. It's not a good place to be. And it says right here in verse 21, it says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. It's the whole turning point in these scriptures. Paul is throwing it down to him. He said, listen, this is where you are. And then it goes, but... When you're reading your Bible and you come across but, or you come across therefore, go back and look and see what's before it, and then look and see what's behind it, because there's a transition that's happened there somewhere. And there's a great transition that happens right here. And if nothing else, this ought to excite us, because it says there's a righteousness that's been revealed that is apart from the law. See, according to God's standards, you nor I can live up to them. You nor I can make it. And yet God comes through the power of Jesus, through the power of his blood and through the power of the body that bore our sins. And he says, now I'm going to give you what you can't earn. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to just give it to you. Listen, you're over here and you, you know, you just keep digging the hole deeper. Now I'm going to give you something that you've been striving for all your life here. Bam. And you're righteous. And the crazy thing is we we get to a place where it's almost like we're afraid if we tell people they're forgiven, then they won't live the way they're supposed to live. But the Bible is so clear that when we begin to, to live in God's grace, he begins to work in us and through us and produce the thing that we couldn't produce on our own. So that when we, listen, when you come to realize the love of God and how awesome he is, you get to a place where how could you not want to live for him? I mean, when a God loves you, that's why I believe Jesus said that, you know, he who's been forgiven much loves much because when you've been forgiven a bunch of junk like I have, boy, you really love God for letting that happen. Jesus came and he began to preach and he began to say, listen, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the problem is we look at that and we go, well, I don't don't want to talk about repentance. Repentance is just, that's just harsh, you know, and we'd rather flip it over to somebody that's just telling us, but listen, repentance is a good thing. Repentance says, I'm going to give you another chance. 
we just look at it the wrong way. Jesus could have come and he could have just said, y'all are all dying and going to hell. I'm sorry. He could be like, he could have been like, you know, the, the holy gunslinger just taking people out. But instead he comes, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus himself was carrying the kingdom of heaven in himself. I mean, come on now, that's good. When Jesus begins to minister, he is actually bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God. And he's bringing with him the spirit of God. And we'll just come to a place where we'll have, take this transition. And we'll realize, man, you know what? According to the world standards, I might be worthless. I might be this. I might be that. But you know what? Bless God. When I received him, he changed my life. He changed my heart. And on the inside of me is something bigger than what's in the world. And today I can live out of a place where I know good and well if I'll do my part. If I will just live in the grace and the love of God, he'll fulfill the potential of my life. You know how many nights I've laid awake and I've been sitting there going, God, I don't want to miss it. God, don't let me miss it. I want to do what you put me. You know, when you're in God and you're living in his grace, you don't have to lay awake at night worrying about missing it. God will get you in the right place at the right time. You're not going to miss it. We lay awake. We worry. We think, what am I going to do? God will, will direct you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will fulfill everything in you that you were created to do. But we've got to be willing to give him that. The biggest thing is we've got to be willing to make this transition. We've got to be willing to receive this forgiveness that God gives us. And we've got to be willing to live in that. So many Christians come to a place today where maybe we've achieved salvation, but we're so far away from the abundant life that God wants for us. I mean, come on. It doesn't mean everything's going to be peaches and cream, but I'm telling you this, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things, they don't depend on what you're in today. They don't depend on your circumstances today. The Holy Spirit's bigger than that. And so we can have abundant life wherever we are. We can have abundant life right now. And that's what God's calling us to. And he's calling us to a place where we can begin to live above all of this worthlessness, all of these things, and begin to realize that we have potential in God. And, and here's the cool thing about it is it's not even our potential. It's God's potential. It's what God can do in and through you. Can you imagine this? If we would really begin to realize as the body of Christ that if we would all come to a point of recognizing what God's called us to be and called us to do apart from what we see other people doing and we all came together and began to move as one person, as one body where you fill up all the things I'm lacking and I fill up the things you're lacking. Listen, you may not be called to do what I do, but I'm not called to do what you do either. Great example is Bo. Bo, Bo um, ministers to people all the time who I can't minister to. He, he, he reaches out to people that I can't, they won't listen to me. And so he fills up what I'm lacking. But now Bo may not, he may one day be up here preaching, I've got a good mind, he might. But right now, that's the part that I'm doing. And so we do things to fill up. And we really realize our potential when we all come together as one body. And if our mission here in this church, if you're part of this church, is to connect believers, uh, unbelievers to God and believers to each other. To love God and to love people. And if we'll grab hold of that and in our own way begin to fulfill that and begin to do that, then we can make a huge impact on this city. 
We can come alongside other churches who are doing their mission and doing their purpose. And when we all begin to do those things, we'll realize the greater potential that God has placed on the inside of each one of us. But we've got to get to the place of where we're actually doing that. And we're actually beginning to step into our potential. Verse 22 says this, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But listen. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let me summarize all that. Basically, Jesus took the beating and the wrath and the anger of God that you and I deserved. That's basically a summary of that. And the most incredible thing is we come out of the worthlessness, we come out of the filth, we come out of the sin, we come out of all of those things, we go through the transition of the righteousness that God places on our life, and we come into a place where we can live and do the things that God's called us to do. See, when we come to Christ, we come to know him, God puts his Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And when we come and we are filled with the Spirit of God, we become saturated with potential. We become saturated with the potential to do all the things that God created us to do. Before, when we were back here in verses 9 through 20, we were in a place where we, we, we didn't have hope. We had nothing. The only thing we were assured of is death. And yet we come into a place now with Christ, which God gives us life, and we become so heavy laden with potential that it's literally there to burst forth into the world. But see, I don't think we grab hold of that. I don't think we see that. I don't think that we realize that as we were on common ground when we were right there in verses 9 through 20, we're also on common ground when we come to verses 22 through 26. I heard somebody say this the other day. I'd never heard it before. You may have, but it says that the ground is always level at the foot of the cross. Nobody's any better than anybody else. And so we come to a place where we realize that God can and will and desires to do incredible things through each one of us to impact the kingdom of God. When we lay our agenda aside, we take up the agenda of God and we begin to move. He will fulfill the potential that is in each one of us. But we've got to have a desire to see that happen. We've got to have a desire to pursue God. We've got to have a willingness to lay down the things that aren't of God. And move with him. And so we can come to a place of recognizing that we all have incredible potential to do things for the kingdom. Oh, if that excites you, it excites me to think that God could use me to do something that's bigger than myself. To do something that is, is so far beyond my own capabilities. To do something in such a way that when we look at it, we go, wow, only God could have done that. Amen. Well, let's stand and we're going to pray this morning. Father, we just thank you today, God, that you didn't leave us in our worthlessness, in our, in our despair, in our hopeless state. But God, you came and you made a way. God, I just pray in Jesus' name that we would begin to realize that there's great potential in our lives. 
Father, that you, um, that you want to do things through us for your kingdom, God. That if we'll come to you and we'll seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added unto us. Everything we need. Give us the courage and the boldness through the power of your spirit to step forward and do the things that we were made to do. God, help us just to live in your presence. Help us to live in the grace, God. That when we live in grace, Father, I thank you that we don't live under the law and yet somehow we come out and we fulfill the righteousness requirements that it had. God, I thank you that you sanctify us and purify us today. Just teach us, God, to walk in your ways. Father, we love you and we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.